0: Tom Daniels I appreciate you joining me today um, and I love podcasts that sort of happen at the last minute because of a like I think I saw you commented on something on Facebook and I was like yeah. yeah I was like oh yeah I like I like Tom Daniels why don't I talk to him and you're somebody who in my crew of you know folks that I know in high school and still communicate with you are, you're sort of a legend in the in in many circles and I kind of want to pick your brain a little bit and thank you and uh, and also, just admit some and apologize to you for singing "Lean On Me" to you acapella. Um, a, I don't know if you remember that, but an um, audition. Yes, <laughs> <coughs> yes, I did. And I don't know. I think it was for Fiddler on the Roof, and I think you ended up casting me as the guy that lifted Sarah Sarah Hawk in the air. So I, <laughs> I, I think it was an appropriate casting. Just you, put you that and there. Mike
1: Marlat, I think. <laughs>
0: Well, Mike might have been able to sing better than me, but I, you know, I I it was my first time like uh, you know, as a, you know, as somebody who plays music professionally now for a living. It was I'm reminded of that moment often where I walk in a room and I'm like, I know what I'm doing. And then I sing something and there's somebody who knows what they're doing and is like, "Why don't you uh, oh. <laughs> why don't you why don't you pull on these levers and lift someone in the air? That oh, might be better for you." <laughs> so, anyway, well, before we get into yeah. any of that, Tom, I wanted to ask you like, you know, I had you as an English teacher. Mhm. And you ran the theater department at at Dover High School for, and I I don't want to presume to know for how long, Um, but I'm curious, can you tell me a little bit about like baby Tom Daniels? Like I remember you playing the guitar during class and singing and you kind of had, I don't want to say an unorthodox approach to education, but it was more holistic than I remember a lot of other folks sort of dealing with their role as an educator. And I'm kind of curious... I, that's yeah, a great I'm,
1: way of putting that josh more holistic
0: I'm, yes maybe i'm misdiagnosing it but i, but I, I i'm either. curious if you can tell me a little bit about like what was baby tom daniels like what brought you to teach and get into music and education i know that's a broad question but i you know i only know you knew you as a teacher i'm kind of curious what you were like as a young scrapping right a you know, rabble rouser
1: well i was uh I was singing, coming out of the womb, you know I, I don't remember a time when I didn't sing, and that was my passion my whole life mm-hmm. and I taught myself the guitar, so because I was tired of asking my sister who played the piano, I'm tired of asking her to accompany accompany me all the time. Mm-hmm. so I taught myself play the guitar simply as a portable way to carry an instrument around, and I can sing and play it so.
0: I never never did
1: learn to play it well. But anyway. Were your your parents musical? No, not at all.
0: What did they do? My dad
1: dad had a good voice and he used to sing to us in the car. Uh He used to sing, uh, make us cry. He used to sing, When I was a lad and old Shep was a pup, over fields and meadows we'd roam, just a boy and his dog. We were both full of fun. Anyway, it goes on. If you've ever heard that, it's about. Kidding his dog and the dog dying and just makes you weep, you know.
0: Well, what did what did your what did your mom and dad do for a living?
1: My dad worked at Timken as a ID grinder, and my mom was a homemaker and worked part time at Hearts. Uh, okay. The old Hearts. Do you remember that store at all? It's like a department store here.
0: Well, so you you grew up in you grew up in Dover, is that correct? <clears throat>
1: Excuse me. No, I grew up. In the Midvale area. Okay. The, All right.
0: I went to the Midvale and, Speedway uh, a lot as a kid.
1: Yeah, I did. Tell you, I used to sneak in. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and then we'd get kicked out about half the time, but we'd, <laughs> we'd, we'd make it about half the time. So. But but to continue, then I went to college and I just, I knew I wanted to, I was a 60s kid. So I wanted to do something that would help people. You know, that, and that sounds corny, but it was really true. And a lot of us back then, that was our motivating drive. It wasn't,
0: necessarily money well this is this is why i ask about your parents because you know i'm i'm aware of the general sort of time period in history in which you were growing up as a kid and in which they were doing the things that i'm i'm now doing which is like i'm working i'm trying to make money like there's a point at which my ideologies and the things i want in the world to happen maybe i realize i don't have as much control over and you're just like i've got to provide for my family and i'm curious like as a kid in the 60s like what was it like talking to your parents, like, in being a conscious, like, human being? Like, I wasn't alive in the 60s. Like, were you having fights about, like, or conversations? Like, you're an artist, all of a sudden, your dad's grinding stuff at Timken. Does, like, was there, any, ever con- any, was there ever any conflict there?
1: Excuse me. Why I've got this. Um, well, of course, there was conflict. He was a World War II veteran, and I was a child of the Vietnam War. grew up with that hanging over my head mm. from the time I was 12 years old for 12 years. Yeah, so that's another story all in itself. My my fickle relationship with the military, but yeah, but um, so no, we had uh, he didn't like when I grew my hair long, you know, or I grew a beard back then, and he he complained. And he was, of course, we we differed in opinion of the Vietnam War, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and that lasted for a while, but uh, eventually, like a lot of World War II veterans, they came around and realized. It was an exercise in futility after 12 years of being there, you know. Right, right. And he did come around. But, you know, we had a good relationship, my dad and I, and they supported me. They were proud of my singing. I know Mm -hmm. that. And Mm -hmm. they always supported me. Mm -hmm. But I got into uh, singing in college. I take my guitar to group events or sing in coffee shops. I just entertain the guys in the apartment and And they all just sort of liked it. And then I started singing professionally somewhat then. And then, uh, you know, I did it my whole life. Uh, It it was sort of my avocation. I taught school and played music three nights a week for about 40 years, you know. Well, did you...
0: you know, uh, I think if I, if someone had stopped me on the street a week ago and been like, who's Tom Daniels? I'd have been like, uh, he's an English teacher, but like theater, 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 theater is like, that's, that's the stuff that imprinted on me. I think, uh, just that's where I saw you, like the ecosystem right. that you created there was like really unique. And like, did you have experience in theater as a kid? Like what got yeah, you Yeah, well, that? see, I,
1: I was, I played sports my whole life. And then I went to college, I was majoring in English, minoring in phys ed and, uh, I played football my freshman year and I got injured and and having played sports my whole life. Uh, I had a, uh, a speech teacher, really, who asked me to, he said, to she said to come over to the theater and audition for this show. I think you would enjoy it. Hmm. So I went over and audition. I got a small part and then it became my obsession. So I switched my a, a double major then of English and speech and drama. And, uh, that's where that came. And then what was I didn't the, use what was that the
0: show. Parts. What's what was that? The, what was the show?
1: Well, the first show I was in was a uh, South Pacific or so pathetic. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. No, 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 no it's <laughs>
0: fine. I've, I've, i know enough theater people that when they say like the, uh, what do they call it? The, uh, the, the Scottish play, like everybody, I know that they're all talking about oh. Macbeth, you know, like, like there's, there's slang that everybody has. It's okay. Yes.
1: Yes. Um, but, uh, that and then I was fortunate enough to land a really good dramatic role right after that, by default, um, and uh, I was just hooked. And and uh, then I did a little bit of little theater work, you know, when I got here. But uh, essentially, didn't use that until uh, Floyd May retired. I don't know if you remember that. Never. Alice Reaney Floyd May, who had been the directors, and uh, they asked me to do it. That was like not till eighty. Five or something, mm. and I said, Yeah, I would like that. I'd like to try that. And then I did that, and I was totally immersed. And I, I, this is something I wanted to say because I know you're involved, and I'm so proud of what you're involved in. I feel like we're sort of fellow travelers and mm-hmm. uh, or kindred spirits and our motivation, motivating uh, uh, things that motivate us. But uh, I got into that, and I used my my skills of having played sports and coaching, I coached for Mm -hmm. 10 years. I use the same skills when I directed plays and it's the same discipline. I'm sure, you know, as you and your directing and staging, it's the same kind of discipline when you are involved in something like that. It's the same discipline as going to practice for football or basketball or tennis or whatever, every day, practice, 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 practice. And then you perform the game. You know, it's the same kind of dedication and discipline.
0: Well, I, I was glad I was, you answered a question I was going to ask because I, you know, as I was sitting here thinking about like the way that I didn't identify it at the time, but the way, you know, like Fiddler on the Roof, that was my first experience and seeing. Oh, that was a great show. Seeing oh. the the way you managed the team. You know, the team has fifty players on it or whatever, and not every player's on the field. The quarterback's on the field. You know, John John Kelsey's gonna be on the field the whole time. He's the Tom Brady of that. Right. You know. Right. But you know what? There's a place kicker who the game may come down to and he plays once. And that was my job. And I remember right. there was a rehearsal and I was like right. I was dicking around up in the up in the rafters and Sarah Sarah <laughs> Sarah did her thing where she's like, ah And she was supposed to go up and I and, and I just like two seconds later I heard you go, Quillen! and I was like like what that showed me was that like you weren't there for just the quarterback. Like you, like coaches no. have to be aware of everybody and everybody has a role and it's super important. And I, well, I just, you
1: know, you know that uh, uh, I'm assuming what you do. Um, uh, uh, logistically, it, I find when you're staging something like that, it's a chat, really a challenge for me because being an artistic person,
0: mm-hmm.
1: the strong, my strongest suit wasn't, discipline and organizational skills. And I really had to, you know, to work on those because mm. when you put on a musical, you're basically just a producer because you got spinning so many plates.
0: <laughs> well and so these are these are 17 year old plates too. Like you're dealing oh. with 17 year olds. Like let's not even bring that equation into the or part of the I equation.
1: could tell you stories Oh, my God. Your brother is probably in a couple of them, too.
0: Uh, well, we don't need to go into that here. I, I know. I'd like to keep my job, Tom, if I couldn't do that.
1: But but yeah, it, but it was it's such a surrounding myself with really good people. Oh, my goodness. Loyal, uh, passionate people, passionate as I was for, you know, uh, being motivated to make sure those young people. Would do the best they can and wouldn't embarrass themselves.
0: On well, let stage. me. I have two questions that 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 I'm, that came up as you were talking. One was this: the skill set you're talking about that were, you know of managing people. Like that was something I do. Like the the theater time was kind of my favorite time because it was the least. Uh, it was the least structured time of my day of my life in school. You know, marching band is like, bitch, you got to get your spot right on the 40 yard line. And you got to right. be there. I And if you're not, you're late, you know, or you're in a drum line and you're not playing with everybody else. Like there was this weird controlled chaos. And I remember it being a time when I was like, <laughs> as student, as a student, like, you know, you were great you enough, expression. You had enough rope to hang yourself. And, but then, and I never remember you getting mad except for one time. And I remember when you did, I don't even remember what it was about. I think one of us ate Bob Haas's pizza out of his fridge. You know, like, you know, we would rehearse until 10 o'clock at night in the school. And Bob Haas, poor guy, was yeah. the only guy there. And there's 30 people running around. And they just went down to the, the, the boiler room and ate his food. And he came up and was so pissed off. And you just lit into us. And I remember sitting there being like, I think he's going to kill us all. Like, I've never seen a murder, but maybe this is the first time, you know. And, uh, you know, I, I, I don't, I, you know, I don't know if you, I, anyway, I don't know if there's a good question in here, but like that controlled chaos, I feel like is something that's kind of maybe gotten squeezed out of the educational system. And oh, I, without I, a doubt. I understand why in some instances. I get it. I get the argument sometimes against it. But I'm curious from your viewpoint now as, you know, a retired teacher, like, where do you see that balance? Because I'm a, I'm a teacher now and I, there are moments when I want it to be just like chaos, but I feel a little hemmed in, you know?
1: Well, I, you know, I think one of the things in theater specifically it attracted students from all facets of the school, which I loved more than anything I did was that theater because from everybody, I mean, the kid that was into carpentry or, Electrician work or singing, dancing, acting—so many aspects. And mm-hmm. athletes, not and that was the beauty. I loved it, and to see them. And yes, it was a bit of chaos. And I'm a bit of a chaotic person. But but if everybody, I had people I trusted so much. You were one of them, Mike Marlat. I don't remember Mike mm-hmm. uh, and, and John uh, Kelsey's dad. Who else? There was a group of kids: Adam Rogers, Mike Marland, uh, uh, Nick Ames. Who was a, these were out outliers of the school. They weren't, mm-hmm. you know, well, Amy, weren't Amy, Smith any,
0: com, Amy Smith comes to mind. Like people, there, there was Smith. Oh, I could. There was like a, a crew of people, and again, I, I, I'm, I'm asking this question a little bit out of like re, like regret that I didn't hang. Like there was a satellite group of people that were just like yeah. always in your office. I would or, trust them with yeah.
1: my life and i'm not just saying that mm-hmm. i i remember i'll tell you one quick story i don't know how long we have here but uh when we were doing greece we rented the greece car from from uh, ej thomas uh mm-hmm. they had used it and they rented and it cost a couple grand to rent it it was all beat up convertible yeah i remember it ran electric but
0: <clears throat> excuse me i love that we had an electric car in dover ohio by the way i just want to put yeah. that out there <laughs> You were at the you were at the tip of the spear, Tom. <laughs>
1: we, we had to add the sound effect of the car, but um, but they told us specifically, and we went up to get it. That was a group of those guys and Paul Kelsey. They said, "Whatever you do, if it doesn't fit into your space, do not alter this car." You know, because yeah, whatever. So we get down there and we can't we were at, at the uh, gym doors, you know, the
0: mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. Uh, opposite steps on the uh, 6th Street side there. Yeah. yeah. So we pull up, we wheel it off the, the uh, bed. It won't fit. It wouldn't fit. It was short by like that much on each side. Oh, my God. What, what are we going to do? Paul and I are standing there thinking, what are we going to do? So there was a lapse of about five minutes. Mike, Adam Rogers, Nick Ames—it was all the guys. You know, these these guys—they're sort of they were they were shits in their own right. You know, they were
0: <laughs> you, you, your words, Tom, not mine.
1: But boy, they. But I <laughs> yeah. here's what I did. And I think this is one of the reasons I was effective as a, an educator and a director. And this is a perfect example. They came over to me. Stood there with her arms folded, looked me in the eye and said, You know, Mr. D, we can put, take that car apart and put it back together. I said, No, no, you can't. It, they said, Yes, yeah, we can't. It, they wouldn't, nobody will would ever know. I had them, I said, You look me in the eye. And I was desperate. It was part of, out of desperation. Look me in the eye and promise me you can do this. And they did. They took took that car apart. We got it in in the auditorium, in a, through the whole, the doors and everything, and we took it back apart to take it out. Put in a put it, but the whole thing. Now, in the end, there was a handful of stuff that we never put back.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you had a few handles there, left. And you didn't know what there,
1: to do. with there, A little bucket full of stuff that never nobody could figure out. But I thought, my God, they did it. Now, Paul Kelsey was appalled. I love Paul, but he was—he was like, "Tom, you're not going to do this. You're not going to let them do this. This we're going to—we're going to." I said, "They told me they can do it. I trust them." And these were guys that were ornery as can be. You know, they—a lot of teachers saw them coming and they would run the other way. You know, in all honesty,
0: <laughs> because and, they didn't want their car taken apart. <laughs> Tom, it wasn't—it's not rocket science.
1: <laughs> but. And I trusted them to do it, and they did it. That I, I think of that example so often. Did I step across or out of out of? I colored out of the lines a little bit. I sure did. Did I go out on a limb myself? Did I put them in that position? Yes, but I also put what what's one of the most important thing for all of us to feel, and that's trust, mm. and somebody believes in you, and that was just one. One thing, one example of I think why I was halfway successful. At what I did. That's
0: well. I want to. I want to just um, mark or clock something that has been on my mind. Just in the way. Just in reference to a lot of like the things you're talking about, trust and people being accepted and felt, feeling like they're they have a home somewhere. Um, oh, you know, this was 1990. I was a freshman in '94. I graduated in '98. Um, and I remember the. I don't know how to say this without being clumsy or sounding or possibly offending anybody, but the first two gay people I ever knew in my life who I interacted with were the choreographers you brought in. <clears throat> oh my God. Good friends. And, yeah. And can you remind me of their names? I, I, Rich and Sonny. Rich and Sonny. And it was, Son, I think it was Sonny Sonhalder and Rich DeGooney. I think it was 42nd street was the, like I was cast in the, in the chorus and I had to learn how to tap dance and, Just to be clear, like I didn't – I think it's in society when we talk about hate or how hate is built in people. You're taught how to do it. And I was never – my parents were very supportive, no hate in their hearts at all. But at the time in Dover, Ohio, there was kind of just the way gay folks were talked about or approached or dealt with in the media. There was all – I was sort of just absorbing stuff and not sure what I was – like why I was – Absolutely. Anyway, Sonny and Rich come in the room. And they get right in my shit about tap dancing. And I'm like, who are you guys? And I start – that moment started to sort of be like, okay, well, wait a minute. That thing I heard on the news, that doesn't make sense anymore because Rich and Sonny are – okay. And then like that – there was a series of those questions being answered for me that I think now as a 42-year-old person, I was aware I, I was in a room with many gay people. I just didn't know.
1: Isn't, and that, I, wonderful? I isn't wondered, that wonderful? Isn't
0: that I wonder how many people were affected like that from that program by being around rich and sunny who are gay or like, you know, I was a straight kid. I wasn't, I, I had a crush on Jessica Strimbu. Like I wasn't there for rich and sunny. I was there for, you know, Jessica. And please, Jessica, I'm, I've moved on and I'm an adult and I'm married and all this stuff. But like, I'm curious, like, is that something that's not, maybe I, I don't want to assume that's something you consciously did, but are you aware or were you aware of what that sort of injection of, a type of culture into a, an ecosystem, what the effects of that? I
1: tried to, Josh, I tried to do that in my classroom, exposed mm. people. Uh, I, you know, I, uh, Kurt Vonnegut's one of my favorite authors. And he once said, it's, it's a duty of all teachers to poison their minds with humanity, mm. you know? And, and, uh, honestly, teaching tolerance was a big part of my curriculum. And I'm not, that's, it just was because of who I am. I went through. I believe that most prejudice starts in ignorance. Ignorance meaning you don't know any better. Mm-hmm. I grew up the same way with parents like you that, that were prejudiced but loving. But they had their they had certain ways they looked at blacks, gays. Heck, my mom even against Catholics. You know, it yeah, I mean. Was,
0: Everybody uh, in the world has the potential to harbor, and we all do to some degree, an irrational hatred of something. You know,
1: yep, or something. and it it is irrational. I think the more you get to know, the more you include your, your your circle, as you talked about before, includes more diverse people. The more we learn and grow as human beings. Now, I don't know what it is in some people, like the Donald Trumps of the world, that don't have that. They have, or they have that. I, they can't get past that part where you learn and you grow, you know, but, but, um, but uh, I I really believe that, Josh, you hit it right on the head. We come into this world and our prejudices are, are learned or just by what we're exposed to. It's just natural. But I knew in my heart when I was exposed to a lot of gay people in college, when I get into the theater program, <laughs> I was one of the six straight guys, you know. And and I was hit on by more gay guys, and I I really found out I really learned about my sexuality in college. And I found out when I say I'm not gay, I'm not harboring harboring any secrets. I'm not.
0: <laughs>
1: I have plenty of opportunity.
0: Right. In the same way that I know gay people who are like, I am not straight. Like, there's yeah, you know yeah, you can exactly. say the same way, the yeah. other way around. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So it it was so good for me, and and boy, my well my my, my values, my political views, my, uh, that's why I I learned mine, not my parents, not my Mm -hmm. communities. But when I, in my early twenties, you know, teen, uh, uh, you know, upper teens in college is where I started developing those things. Yep.
0: Well, you know, are Rich and Sonny still around? Like what? what
1: Oh yeah. My guys, still good friends. They, he rich retired. He was an English teacher and, and drama teacher at, at Central Catholic. And uh, and Sonny, I don't know what he did, various jobs. Yeah, they bought a they bought, I don't remember. Dr. Andrew is the uh, chiropractor in New Philly, he was like mm-hmm. the man mm-hmm. for years. And he had this great house up over by the park in Philly. Mm-hmm. And they just they just bought a house, his house, and they're redoing it. Yep, well, they're, if
0: you they definitely don't remember me unless I was the worst dancer they I ever know. worked with, but um, give them my best because I don't, I, sure will. I don't know that they, I wish, I hope they're aware of how much my time with them meant. Well, Just I to a, definitely you know, tell
1: them when I, I run into them, we used to get that whole group uh, used to get together every few months is some of the little theater people that, you know, uh, families and, but uh, we but we just haven't done that for so long. And I, but I run into them occasionally here and there.
0: Yeah. Well, pass on my love to them. And and uh, you know this conversation makes me. I mean, I think the reason that I reached out to you was I think I don't know if I comment. I don't even remember what I said or what you said. I just know that I said oh. something. There was something about Ukraine or Trump or something. I don't remember. Yeah. I, and, I, and I I'm curious, like you know, uh, the, this Ukraine stuff is hit, hit, hitting me because one of the first wow. gigs I played was so was in Ukraine in 2008. We played in, I read that. Yeah. And, um, you know, the, the, the concert hall that we played in is now a place where they're like handing out rifles and people are in the presenter who hosted us is like defending her, her city. And so like, Oh my God, this is a moment for me where as a, as an artist, I feel like I'm just going to be honest with you. I, there are, this is when I, I wonder what am I doing? What are we doing here, Tom? Like, is when my friends in Ukraine are getting gunned down or, you know, trying to defend their town or, you know, my my black friends are in the streets protesting because of George Floyd or X, Y, and Z, whatever it is, like, there are, this is the moment when I wonder, like, what, as an artist, is my job? Is my job to go and continue to coach weird percussion chamber music because that's the thing, actually, that is the best answer to Putin? Or, <laughs> or like, is laying on my couch eating ice cream all day, being like, "We're fucked." Like,
1: right.
0: and this is as as a forty two year old. This is why I want you to help me here, Tom, because you've you've thought about this longer than I have. Like, well, I've been through I, the sixties, you know. Like, what?
1: I feel very strongly. You know, I, I'm old now, and and I have to be careful how I spend my energies. I can't get too <laughs> upset. I, I, I sort of have to dole out my. My my passion, my energy these days, and I, I I'm sort of leaving it up to the younger people. But I'm still very involved. And uh, my not advice to you. I don't give advice. But what I found was when I was marching with the civil rights marches, never with Martin Luther King, but his marches in mm-hmm. at Fairmont State, where I went to school, were. When I when I marched for women's rights, remember the 60s, it was a turbulent decade. But look what the advances that we made. Mm. Women, civil rights, voting rights, uh, gay rights started. But and I look all the years and I would think, did did it do any good? Because we did when, when we elected a black president. And that family in the White House was like such a wonderful example of family, of all our value, every American value I can think of that we're always taught. They were a perfect example of that. I remember weeping on inauguration day, watching him being being, uh, sworn into office that Mm -hmm. I thought, well, maybe some good did come of it, Mm -hmm. of all that. And then you see what's happened since. They've made sure that this will never happen again. That's what they're doing right now. Mm -hmm. that we'll never have another black president. And anyway, my my thoughts on that were always, even though I think Pete Seeger said this best, who was a a musician who who stood up for causes his whole life and sacrificed career, you know, probably a more lucrative career because he was always singing for causes. Mm -hmm. And he said this once, he said, maybe what I did didn't help that much. Maybe I look over the years and maybe we haven't grown that much, but you know what? I met all these wonderful people and all of these things I did, I know I was on the right side. You know? And and if you feel like you're on the right side and doing what you can through your art, you know, writing a song, a piece of music, whatever. However, I mean, I think that's, important for us to understand that it's it's your intention and those people who you who who you hang around and and Mm. you know it it just all it's all worth it in the end as frustrated and jaded as i am today about the world it's still i i think that's a big part of it is i i really felt like i wasn't on the right side as a matter of fact that comment i made to somebody posted on yours was something about probably Biden or Trump? Either one would be put in that position. You would, you know, they would probably run. And it's one of my problems is that everybody says, "Oh, both sides," you know, mm-hmm. or oh, they, they're both sides. No, not not today. You can't. It's not both sides at times. One side's wrong. One side's right. Mm-hmm. And to compare Trump and Biden, and I'm not praising Biden. I'm just saying that. <laughs> there's no comparison. Yeah. No, Biden is not Donald Trump. No, that's yeah. what I would, you
0: know, no, no, no. And yeah. And that that's, and again, like my, I think what I when I said that in my head, what I was saying was that like, I don't even like our, I'm, I'm so ga- gobsmacked by the American system in general. Like, and I, what I meant by that, I think, and you're a hundred percent Right. But that I like, I don't even think the American system would even allow Joe Biden to put a flag jacket on, you know. Like, it's not even in the cards that that would even get right. to that point. We'd yeah. drop a nuke well before that, you know. But right. the privilege that we all have as Americans and the attitude we have towards this like binary, like, oh, you're either it's either this or that. And it's like, well, you know what? It, Zelensky doesn't get to have that privilege.
1: No, he doesn't.
0: And you can agree. I mean, he's a comedian, he has a trouble, you know, there's complications there too. But, you know, his system isn't such that he has a ring of people around him to protect him all the time. Right. And, you know, uh, when you mentioned Obama's election, we flew to Russia the day after his election. That was my first time in Russia, too. And mm. so we land in, in St. Petersburg and I go to this this little open-air market and I'm like, I, you know, just like my eyes are gobsmacked. Everything's massive and it's awesome. And um, we go to this little market and there's a woman selling Matryoshka dolls, very old woman, and she just she sees I'm an American and she pulls me aside and she goes, congratulations. I was like, what? And she says, you elected a slave. I can't believe it. And I was taken aback because she said slave. And, but then as I, as I saw the intention in her eyes, it was like what she was saying was like, you elected one of me. Like she was a peon in society and she's looking at us as a country in which we were founded on this idea of a class of people who work for us, you know? for free. (laughs) Um, but we, we elected a president and to someone in Russia, whose history is how old to see a country that's history is only 200 and some odd years old, somehow pull that off. Like that was another moment for me. I was like, Oh my God, is that, what's that Mark Mark Twain quote, um, about travel being the silver bullet to racism, bigotry. Like,
1: absolutely. Yep.
0: You know, when I see this stuff happening, I'm, incapable of harboring hatred for Russian people too.
1: I know. Right. Absolutely.
0: If I see people protesting the Russian bakery down the street, that lady didn't invade Ukraine. Right. (laughs) You know, she's paying taxes here and trying to do whatever, you know. And so. Absolutely. I think to bring it back to what you said earlier about just being a a person of the world, uh, somebody who I, who pushes me in front of people like Rich and Sonny, who sat, sits and sings song, protest songs in an English class, who, puts me in a room and leaves and is like, you all are going to figure it out. And then we do figure it out. Like, I just, I don't want you or anybody else who's ever had you as a teacher to discount the value of that. And I think that I just want to thank you for that from the bottom of my heart. Teachers like you are, um, I don't want to say a dying breed. I just think they're, they are, you're few and far between now. And maybe you were few and far between back in the 80s, too. And I just did. I taught everybody. I mean, I had lovely teachers, Joan Wenzel, Steve Stroop, like a bunch of people who are who are the two of my
1: favorites, too, yeah. Of doing, doing what I'm doing. doing.
0: But can you, like, for a young person who's getting into education right now, just as this is my final question, like, what, what advice do you have for them? And maybe keep it to, like, somebody who's teaching English, like, or the humanities. Like, what advice do you have for a teacher who has similar instincts to you? But is maybe curious about how to how to crack into that into the system that is now sort of calcifying around the educational world. Does that make sense? What I'm asking? It sure does. As a matter of fact, if I couldn't talk them out of it,
1: uh, I don't know. I can't imagine. I keep. I'm still involved in education. I still am a supervis instructional supervisor for a digital academy, and mm-hmm. I work with kids. But but um, I don't. I and i I'm kept up with the educational system, and I don't know if I could teach today i don't know i would be so restricted uh, you know what you have, you have, you have people i you see my button I'm wearing, don't you? can you read that mug can miss oh it. I, I read
0: band books, oh yeah yeah, my,
1: but that's my. come that's come around again after all these years. I used I to wear this button on my sport coach years ago when I taught. <laughs>
0: I know Mike Gunther. I remember my, my, my freshman or my senior year AP English college class with Mike Gunther was a class where we read exclusively banned books. And he had, yeah. I remember bringing home a letter to my mom and dad and being like, I need your approval to read Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. I don't mm-hmm. know. Like that's weird. Yeah. And they, they both signed it and they're like, okay. Yep. And now like the idea that we're back to this where there's yeah, and, books and they're about taking... the Holocaust being banned or whatever, you know, like.
1: These these extreme right wingers. I don't know what else to call them. I don't. You can call them. Uh, I don't know what else to call them. But they are. They're they're organized, and their ground zero right now is the educational system. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And they're really going for it. They're really going for it. They're trying to control boards of education. They're trying to um, ban the books. Control what uh, you know. The the whole uh, critical uh, critical race theory. All that. And it's nothing more than just trying to control what they're, is being taught in the schools. It's scary. I don't know. Mm. Teachers are so limited now and they, they're, they're held so accountable to meet the benchmarks. You may even see some of this, what you're doing that you don't, you can't be as creative. One of the most creative moments things I ever did as an English teacher was one, one day I found a bunch of old leaves of grass books that were, a bunch of paperbacks real quick. And, and uh, they were yellow and everything. I got them all, brought them up to the room. And it was the spring of the year. I said, hey, let's go outside. We sat under one of the trees out there, you know, on the fifth street, that big tree. I gave them all a book. And I said, point to, point to some passage, just point to a passage and go around here and read it. And they each read a passage from Leaves of Grass that they just found very quickly. I gave them like three minutes or something. They loved it so much. We did it like three days that week. Mm-hmm. I abandoned my curriculum and because this was so value, valuable, you know.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I don't know if I could do that today. Yeah. You know, that that's the kind. So my advice would be we need people who are free thinkers and we need people who approach the system and not always within the lines, you know but I don't know. It It's, it would be so hard. I know that the demands put on teachers, students going into teaching these days and, and the restrictions once they become a teacher, it's, I don't know.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's, I, I guess I'm not looking as you, you know, I, I don't, I guess I'm not looking for a specific answer here because I don't know that there is one, Um, you know, that this, and I guess I'm fortunate to teach, Music at at a college level, where the accountability is a little less in terms of the 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 fire I'm taking. You know, at that point, most parents are sort of like, "Hey, listen, you're going to college. Listen to your teachers." Yeah, but Um, they're coming
1: for you too.
0: Yeah, they're coming for the colleges too.
1: I'm seeing it. it
0: Seeing it little by little, and the, the, these moments, and I see it on the far left too, where I where I hear, I, I have a little fear of like, you know, we're supporting of books, but it's like, okay, you know, there are other books that like Mein Kampf too that are really terrifying. You want to ban those too? Right, I know. Yeah, you know, like I, I'm a, I'm, <clears throat> I, I don't know whether I'm becoming a classic. Libertarian or classic liberal But like this idea, it's like, no, 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 read it all Sunlight is the best disinfectant, learn Hitler's Absolutely. a dumb dumb. you think Hitler's smart Read Mein Kampf, it's gibberish It's absolute bonkers Gibberish And then maybe 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 you stop, this, maybe you start to realize The emperor didn't have any clothes, he was just a crazy man Who convinced right. a bunch of people Read, you know, read Chinua Achebe, Read Read um, uh, David Foster Wallace Read all of it Mm -hmm. You know, read Hannah Nicole Jones, read, read all the things that you think are terrifying. And you realize like, wait a minute, the same goes for Alex Jones. I'm like all the people who are, it's like, when you listen to him, you're like, oh, (laughs) "Oh, he's a maniac. He's absolute gibberish. There's no there there. And I just, I'm, I.
1: Unfortunately, uh, people who aren't intelligent enough or mm -hmm. open enough to see that will take people like Alex Jones at their word and believe everything. I know people that still believe that Sandy hook was all fabrication of the liberal media because of Alex Jones. That man, he's, he has started to be held accountable. Yeah. But yeah, I know what you're saying. I agree with that. Yeah, I mean, I'm to be clear. I'll
0: read it all. Yeah. I'm not a, I'm not an Alex Jones fan. Mm-hmm. I, and, know you're not. I know there's you're a, not. There's a podcast I did. Um, so percussion did a show called a gun show. Um, probably five, six years ago. And part of the show, um, there's a little monologue that breaks off and I talk about that conspiracy theory. And I felt at the time, if I'm going to put that on stage, I need to research who this guy is. I'm not, like, ethically, I was, I felt responsible. Like, if I'm going to play Hitler on stage, I'm going to do a little research, you know? Right, and, right. And so I, I did the research and then I did a podcast with uh, uh, Jill and Joyce Rousseau, whose daughter... Um, was killed was one of those teachers killed, yeah. And talking with them on this podcast, like you, you can listen to them tell you everything about that day, and oh my you immediately word. realize that Alex Jones is bonkers. And so, for anybody who is like believes that, you are welcome to send them this podcast of this lovely couple from
1: Connecticut. That's, who just, <clears throat> that's it. Yep.
0: Who, who actually, when they described that day, mm-hmm. Tom, I was blown away at how boring it was. And when I say boring, uh, maybe boring is wrong, banal. Like they talked about, they they got the call and they came home and they made hot dogs because they didn't know what else to do. You know, like, that's the shit that pisses me off when somebody is like, oh, it was a crisis actor. It's like, no, goddammit, they went home and made hot dogs because their daughter just, no, they they haven't gone to get the shirts, the clothes from their daughter from the police station yet. You know why? Because the clothes are burned from bullets and they don't want to see that. Like, so, again, like listen to Alex Jones, but also listen to this podcast, right? Right, you know? and that's right. And Tom, I again, sorry, we're way off the rails here, buddy. And I, I, I apologize. know, but I love
1: that's, it, I love that's,
0: it. It's my fault. Um, well, Tom, I want, I want to be respectful of your time here, and just like, is there if for folks who maybe like listen to this and are like. This guy seems really interesting. Is there, wh- where can folks maybe learn about some of the stuff you're working on now? I mean, you, you joke about being old, you know, I'm old and I got to spend my energy somewhere, but you're somebody who doesn't waste your time. And I imagine you're putting it on place, things that are interesting. So is there an organization or a company or something that you are working with now where folks want to learn more, they can go check it out?
1: Well, I work with Quaker Digital Academy, uh, QDA.org, go to QDA.org, mm-hmm. or go to the number two, QDA.org. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm on Facebook, um, Instagram, but you know, I'm, I stay active. Yes. But, uh, like I said, I, I want to, I'd rather wear out than rust and I'm wearing out.
0: <laughs> well, we all are Tom, to some degree, <laughs> some of us faster than others. And I feel like I'm, uh, you know, I'm going to, I feel like I'm 60. So I'm maybe going to catch up to you here sooner <laughs> than, than I'd like, <laughs> But, uh, well, Tom, I am super, super grateful for your time um, today, but also your time 25 years ago with me. Um, at the time, I was not somebody who at the, was really clocking how good of a teacher you were um, for whatever. Maybe I was too obsessed with Jessica Strimbu, and again, I apologize for bringing that. That I feel like that's <laughs> something, you know, but um, I, I'm grateful, and I hope that you are aware of how much that means to me, and I'm, I'm sure I speak for hundreds and hundreds of other people. Um, when I say thanks.
1: Thank you so much, Josh. I I can't even believe you would take the time to reach out for me, to me. And that means so much to me. And by the way, I'm so proud of the path you have taken. And so, because I follow you a little bit there on Facebook and I have, and I'm so proud of you.
0: Well, I appreciate that very much. And, Tom, you are welcome. Anytime I post something on Facebook, you are welcome to call me a dum-dum. You have the the absolute right, and I will take it at face value.
1: No, Okay. Love you, brother. All right. Love you, too. Take
0: it easy. Stay healthy. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Okay. I hope you enjoyed that conversation. This podcast is brought to you by Liquid Drum. Liquiddrum.com down in Waco, Texas. Uh, My good friend Todd Meehan runs an amazing percussion company down there. Great merch, great content. Check them out. Liquiddrum.com. Also, Kyle Dunleavy, dunleavypans.com, D-U-N-L-E-A-V-Y-Pans.com. Kyle Dunleavy makes and builds all the steel drums that I perform and teach on uh, in so percussion as well as at NYU and Princeton. Uh, he's an amazing, amazing tuner, builder, um, just a really nice guy, very dependable. Check him out. If you are interested at all in steel pan advocacy, uh, Want to learn more about the goings-on uh, in Pan in Brooklyn? Check out PanInMotion.com. My good friend Kendall Williams, uh, Jerry Guy, Trisha Guy, and uh, Arisha John run an amazing organization called PanInMotion.com. Check them out. And finally, Aleandre Mirage runs an amazing uh, clothing apparel company in Brooklyn that is steel pan-centric. You can check him out at Mango Chow, C-H-O-W, clothing.com. I own a bunch of his shirts. They're amazing, very stylish, uh, beautiful, beautifully made. Check them out. MangoChowClothing.com Okay, hope you're well. Talk to you soon. Bye.